Welcome to the Happy Menopause podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Skincare is a hot topic for many women, and never more so than in midlife, when the hormonal fluctuations of the perimenopause bring about a sea change in the condition of our skin. Acne, dry skin, and loss of elasticity are all very common problems. And we often find that our tried and trusted skincare routine is no longer effective. And that can be a problem. Because if we feel that we're no longer presenting our best face to the world, it can create a knock-on issue of loss of confidence, at a time when we may already be feeling a bit less comfortable in our skin. But help is at hand with today's guest, consultant dermatologist, Dr. Emma Wedgworth. But first, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Better You who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. We need optimum levels of vitamin D to absorb the calcium which keeps our bones strong and healthy. And that's why a supplement really is a non-negotiable for women in midlife. Vitamin D also plays a key role in supporting immune function, protecting against infection, and it can influence our mood and mental health too. I'm a big fan of the Better You Vitamin D Oral Sprays, which include products suitable for all the family that are very simple to use and with a delicious peppermint flavour. Discover their full range of vitamin and mineral sprays and their wonderfully calming magnesium products, which come as lotions, bath salts and skin sprays, by visiting betteryou.com forward slash THM, where listeners can get 20% off at checkout using the code THM, subject to terms and conditions. So that's betteryou.com forward slash THM plus the discount code THM, which stands for The Happy Menopause. Nice and easy to remember. And so on to today's episode. I'm delighted to introduce you to the brilliant and hugely knowledgeable Dr. Emma Wedgworth. She's a highly experienced clinician who treats the full range of skin conditions, including acne, rosacea, and aging skin. Emma's published numerous scientific articles and been involved in cutting-edge dermatological research, so we're definitely in good hands. Get your pen ready, you'll want to take notes on this one. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Emma. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. Oh, it's a huge pleasure. Skin is a very hot topic, and I know the listeners are going to be sitting there with their notebooks, really eager to hear everything you've got to say. But before we get all your top tips, let's find out a bit more about you. So tell us your story. What's your background and how did it lead to where you are now? So I always knew that I wanted to be a doctor. I was always interested in science, but I really enjoyed the caring aspect and the people aspect of medicine. But when I went into medicine and was exposed to all of the different specialties, I realized in dermatology, although it's often not life-threatening, it really impacts on people's quality of life. Mm. And actually, when treating skin conditions, you can make a huge difference. 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably absolutely right because, of course, all different types of medicine bring their different life-changing effects. But, you know, your skin is very much you on show, isn't it? That's the thing. And if it's not right or you're not happy with it, then it can impact you, your well-being, your mental health, and it's not great. Absolutely right. And you see people who have a number of different health conditions often. And so many people have said, you know, like, I know I do have all of these other sort of medical conditions, but actually the thing that bothers me most on a day-to-day basis is actually my skin. And you can make such a difference by helping people. And sometimes it's about treating skin conditions, but sometimes it's actually just about getting their products right or making them feel confident. And um, so that's one of the things that I really enjoy about my job. Um, and also that we see people from at all different stages of their lives so from literally from birth right up to people in their you know hundreds and all of that so it's it's such an interesting job yes and of course skin evolves very much I mean a a sort of adolescent skin is going to be very different and probably face very different problems from a skin later in life although in all fairness given that we're here to talk about menopause there's a lot of correlation I suppose between puberty and menopause because hormones are going crazy so right. I mean, this is what I say to people when they come in at menopause. You know, this is probably one of the, the biggest events your skin has had to deal with since puberty. And we all know, you know, you, when we see our children go into teenagers, how much their skin changes. And so it's not surprising that then we see profound changes around the menopause as well. Mm, oh, absolutely. So let's talk about midlife skin then. And starting with a really nice general question, what what do you think are the, are the basics of good skin care? You know, when, when I was growing up as a teenager, it was all about cleanse, tone, moisturize in, in Jackie magazine, which was my, my favorite. Is that still the right mantra? So I'm pleased to say, Jackie, that in some ways we have come forward a little bit. And whilst two out of the three parts of the mantra, the cleanse and the moisturizer, still effective, the toning, not so much. So the thing I would say when I'm looking at how to approach skin, the first thing I would always say to people is make sure you're responding to your own skin um, as an individual. And I think we're also used to reading different magazines or looking at what our friends do. And often we get caught up in what the trends are. But I think the first piece of advice that I would give is respond to your own skin we all have different skin and we need to respond to our individual needs yeah I think that's absolutely right I mean it's easy to ditch the toner anyway because it doesn't it never feels something as immediately effective you can see what the cleanser is doing you can feel what the moisturizer is doing and toner can often be a bit a bit harsh and drying I find so the, the reason why I said that actually toner is no longer quite so relevant is because when we used to have the mantra of cleanse, tone and moisturize, what we would find is that in the old days, the cleansers, not the old days, I'm talking about when I grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, that actually cleansers were, were the way that they were designed meant that they would significantly impact on the pH, on the acid and alkali levels of our skin. They would raise the pH and our skin is naturally very acidic and we don't want it to raise toners used to be there to balance out the pH but cleansers have come on so much that nowadays toning in the original sense of the word is not really needed so they're sort of absolute so that's why I say that the two out of the three parts are are great still but the toner is now a sort of sometimes we can use hydrating toners or acid toners but we don't necessarily need to balance that out. Mm, That's really interesting. What about serum because that's the bit the new kid on the block. So serums can be great, but ultimately a serum is a delivery vehicle. So a serum actually, the the term serum conveys the fact that it's a lightweight, water-based formulation. 
that is very good to layer and to sink in easily to your skin, but it's what's in the serum that's so important. So serums can be helpful, but it's about what ingredient you're delivering with that serum. Are you delivering vitamin C, which is a great serum? Are you delivering you know, hyaluronic acid, what are you actually delivering? And what are you hoping to achieve with your skin? Mm, Right. So one unwelcome development for for some women, particularly in the perimenopause, so that sort of premenopausal phase, is a sudden increase, a mysterious increase in pimples or acne when they've had clear skin for years, and might even have got through puberty with clear skin. So it can be, you know, particularly shocking. What's going on here? and, And what can we do about it? So as we go through our sort of childbearing life and as we come up to the perimenopausal period, which I'm sure I don't have to tell you or any of your listeners that can take you know, such a long period of time before you actually reach menopause, what's gradually happening is that decline in estrogen. And so other hormones like progesterone and testosterone relatively can have more impact on your skin. And those sorts of hormones are actually very prone to um, breaking people out. Um, As well as that, people can start on different types of hormonal replacement therapies, or they can actually stop oral contraceptive pills, because a lot of women um, are advised as they get older to stop the oral contraceptive pill. And that may have been the aspect that was actually keeping their skin controlled for quite a while. So there are a lot of reasons why people can start to notice breakouts um, later on. Yeah, so it's very disheartening because if you're used to having a clear skin and suddenly this is going on, it's it's just going to add to that often sense of loss of confidence, mild anxiety that many women experience already at this phase of life. Well, I hear this all the time. So people come into clinic and say, literally what's happening? I've got wrinkles and I've got spots. Like, come on, I can't get <laughs> And the good news is that actually all of the pimples and breakouts are actually treatable, very treatable. And so um, there are a lot of ways that we can actually approach that. So if you are suffering from breakouts or spots around that sort of time, there are various different ways, creams, tablets, changes in your hormonal tablets that, that can actually um, significantly help. So it's not all bad news. Right. So what should people do then? Should they go and see their doctor? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are some, if you're breaking out, there are some simple changes that you can make at home so you can have a good look at your skincare, for example, because the other aspect is that people may notice drier skin over time and then they may reach for richer moisturizers, oils and um, things that actually may increase breakouts. Um, so the first thing before you even sort of think about medic- going to a doctor is to take stock of your skincare, make sure you're using what we call non-comedogenic, non-pore blocking ingredients, nice cleansers, moisturizers, keeping it quite simple. Have a look at your makeup, make sure that what you're using is oil free. And then if you've changed around your products um, and you're still having problems, there are a couple of over-the-counter ingredients which can be quite helpful. So azelaic acid, some mild salicylic acid preparations. And if that's still not helping, then absolutely that's the time to go and have a chat with your doctor um, or speak to your hormone specialist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then if need be a referral to a dermatologist, someone wonderful like you, you're, you're just a mine of information already. This is very exciting. So I was having a chat with a few girlfriends uh, about this session because I knew that there would be some key questions. And the big thing that all of them came back to me with, they were saying, you've got to ask about the dry skin. Um, It's a real issue. So first of all, why does our skin become drier during the menopause? You are so right. This is, if you said to me, what's the one single most common change you see in menopause, I would talk about dryness. And that's because estrogen that works on our skin has actually a profound impact on the way that our 
skin holds in water. The outer layer of skin is known as our skin barrier, and it's made up of a number of dead skin cells which hold lipids and water in. And as we lose estrogen and as our skin gets older, it becomes less efficient at holding those in. We also have deeper water-holding molecules called glycosaminoglycans, which again reduce as estrogen develops. So that's why we tend to notice that skin becomes more dry and sensitive over time. Mm. So what can we do about it? So the good thing is there are lots of different things that we can try and help with. So the first thing is to try and adapt our skincare so that we're compensating for the loss of hydration. So whereas we might have used more harsh formulas like cleansing, uh, foaming cleansers or acid toners, we want to strip those out in favour of ingredients, gentle non-foaming cleansers and ingredients which will help to boost our skin barrier function. There's been a lot of research about skin barrier over the past couple of decades and we know that there are molecules like ceramides, niacinamide, all of these sorts of things which can be added in which can really help to boost our basic skin barrier function. So should we be looking at upgrading our our cream? I mean, if there's something we've been using for years and it's been fine, can you just carry on with that? So I would say that actually menopause is an excellent time to take stock of what you are doing with your skin and making sure that you're adapting that according to your needs. Because like we were both saying, actually so many people will notice that their skincare is drier. So I think it is an excellent time. And I sort of say to people, look, every decade or so, you're going to definitely need to sort of switch up and think about what you're doing. Moisturizers will need to be richer, not poor blocking, but generally richer formulations, which actually hold the water in very well. Cleansers will need to be much more gentle than you might otherwise have used. And then when you're thinking about active, so people want to use anti-aging ingredients, things like retinoids, and you may just have to be a little bit more gentle when you're going for those sorts of options. So it's a really good time to change up your skincare routine. Mm, Okay. And is it really worth having a different cream for day and night, or is that just a marketing thing? So it really depends on what's in the ingredients. So day creams, for example, will often contain sunscreen because actually UV and sunlight is one of the most um, aging factors that affects our skin externally. And night creams, for example, will contain anti-aging ingredients like, for example, the retinoids, vitamin A-based creams that I talked about. As a dermatologist, I am a fanatic about sun protection, as I'm sure you can imagine. And so I always like using a separate sun protection factor um, so that actually it's not embedded in my moisturizer because we know that often those filters aren't the best we can use or we don't use enough. So I think you can use the same day and night cream if you're using a very bland moisturizer just to actually hydrate your skin. And then you can pick and choose other ingredients, a serum like you mentioned at night, your sun cream separately to protect in the morning. So I'm a fan of using just one one moisturiser both morning and evening. And when you talk about uh, sunscreen, is it the standard stuff we buy to go on holiday or would you have a special one for your face? I think when you're going on holiday, you're often reapplying every two to three hours, you're on the beach or you might be swimming. And so the formulations that you use are not likely to be the ones that you want to use on a day-to-day basis because actually they need to be much more cosmetically elegant. You know, if we're going into the office or, you know, we're going for lunch or whatever it might be that we're doing, we want something that doesn't look like a sunscreen, that doesn't give us a white cast, that actually sinks in well, sits well under makeup. 
Um, so I think on the whole, having a day-to-day sunscreen is actually a really useful thing because it's just so much easier to use on a day-to-day basis and then a separate one often when you have to reapply a lot on holiday. Mm, okay, good advice. And speaking of the sun and ageing skin, what about age spots? Why do we get them? Is it the sun? Yes, um, absolutely. So we call age spots solar lentigenes, and these Ooh. are little areas of melanin, the pigment that's in our skin, that spill out. Because as we repeatedly expose our skin to the sun, it becomes less efficient at actually dealing with that. And over time, a little bit of melanin spills out, and that's when you end up with sunspots. Mm. So is that why you'll get them sometimes on your hands? Because they're more exposed than other parts of your body apart from the face? Yes, exactly. So anywhere that's exposed to the sun, face, hands, um, sometimes um, around the chest, um, but certainly any areas that tend to get quite a lot of sun exposure. Mm. And is it too late once you've got them? Is that it? Or can we do something about them? Because there are creams that claim to be able to get rid. So the good news is there is the, you know, the cosmetic industry, the anti-aging industry, the skincare industry is so huge now. There's always a solution. I have to be honest, for sunspots, laser is probably the best solution at the moment. Oh. Um, so actually, if you really want to get rid of one, laser is a very helpful treatment. However, sun protection will prevent you from getting more. And it also may help prevent them getting much darker over time. So even if you're starting to see signs of aging, sometimes people are like, oh, the damage has been done. You know, it's all been done when I'm young. What's the point? Actually, it's really important to continue to protect your skin from the sun because it will um, help you longer term. Right. So it's more likely to be sort of stopping the damage of getting any worse and possibly laser. So you, no point in spending a lot of money on a cream that claims to get rid of it. Is, is that fair? So creams, if you look at how much improvement you can get with creams, it's going to be less. If you want, if your goal is to totally get rid of a sunspot, you're probably looking at laser. If your goal okay. is to make things less obvious, there are creams that you can that, that can be helpful. So for example, vitamin C serums can sometimes be helpful to help with pigmentation. Um, niacinamide can be helpful. There are creams, but really the definitive treatment, because in some ways it's a structural issue. It's like once you have a really, for example, if you've got a big wrinkle or something on, on your skin, creams alone are not likely to totally remove that yeah. because change in the way that your skin is is structured and actually sometimes you then need physical modalities you know actually physical treatments to go in and change those i see okay that makes sense so moving on to the other big issue that came out with the chat with my friends is the loss of elasticity the general droopiness i mean i know myself that if i have a bad night's sleep it's like everything has dropped and, you know, I need a good night's sleep to even try and get that elasticity back. So how can we combat that from a, a sort of skin protection perspective? So as we um, get older, so much changes within our face. So first of all, we know that the elastic tissue, so a bit like if you repeatedly stretch an elastic band, it just becomes the elastin in our skin becomes less efficient and we'll start to lose volume. We lose facial fat. So whereas, you know, often you see, you know, younger children and things with very round faces as well as we lose facial fat. And our bones um, move back a little bit as well. So it just means that, you know, the canvas of our face ends up just being a little bit bigger than it than it otherwise would and leading to those sort of sagging and volume loss changes. That's interesting. Our bones move back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's incredible. We, we get a little bit of bone resorption. They've done over the years a lot of studies on um, 
cadavers, um, so cadaveric studies, to look at how our facial shapes and things change over time is fascinating. And um, the first thing I would say, Jackie, rather than people just going, well, that's it. I mean, that's it. It's all downhill now. Is, <laughs> and something that I always talk to my patients in clinic about is to try and make sure that we are celebrating all the things that we do have that are really good about us. Because actually, once we start aging, I see this in clinic all the time, it, people just lose their confidence. They stop seeing the good things about them. They stop, you know, they're just like, oh, it's all just going south. And you're like, stop. Yes, you are changing. Yes, you're facial shape changes and you know we can do a lot about that we can't change all of it but let's make sure that we're celebrating the good bits so as much as I say all this doom and you know gloom (laughs) you know yes we're getting older and there is an element to that that we have to celebrate because you know all of the older women that I see in clinic often have no confidence but they look fantastic so first thing I would say is you know you don't always have to jump in and do things about everything but if it bothers you enough um, in terms of the elasticity changes, there are often, again, some of these are techniques. So you, for example, you may use um, machines like radio frequency or high intensity focused ultrasound. Sometimes for some people, injectables like a little bit of filler can restore a bit of volume and help with the sagging a little bit. Mm. So those first two things you mentioned, are they sort of non-invasive? It's not actually having a facelift. It, it, what is it? Yeah, exactly. So these are non-invasive. I mean, the market in cosmetics of non-invasive procedures is just expanding at an exponential rate. And these are wave, so radio frequency is a type of um, wavelength that can get deeper down into the skin and to, to hopefully help tighten um, the areas if, if that's something that you wanted to have done. I think what's important, I'm, I'm starting to delve into procedures and things like this. And the reason why I mention them is because we have to also be very open and honest about what creams do and what creams don't do Mm. so creams will get down to the top layer of skin they can definitely increase radiance and fine lines and wrinkles and things but are are creams going to change the shape of our bones and change the underlying fat levels within our skin not necessarily and i think that's something that we you know perhaps the beauty industry hasn't been as transparent about you know longer term it's it's that actually there are lots of things we can do but we have to know what, what the limits of our skincare can potentially be yeah, I think that's absolutely right. But sort of brings me neatly, actually, to, to my specialist area and what I think about all the time, which is the role of diet and lifestyle. And what are your thoughts on that? Are there particular nutrients that you think we really should be focusing on? There is no doubt that our lifestyle plays a huge factor in the way that our skin and and more internally as well, the way that we age overall, because as I've just explained, our the facial shape changes that we see or the fancy that they're a combination of what we see on our skin from outside and what's going on inside. So of course, diet and lifestyle page a huge um, change in improving things. That's saying that actually, if you want to change something, if I said, just go and eat more, you know, avocados, for example, that's not necessarily going to change one individual thing on the skin, but having a healthy diet um, longer term, making sure that we're careful around sun. I know I'm like a broken, broken record, um, you know, healthy amounts of exercise, all of that can be really effective in keeping all of our cells working in an efficient way, which is essentially the basis of healthy aging. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I I always think about really is that getting those basics right is key because, of course, your skin requires a whole load of, of nutrients to work well. There's no doubt about that. But our body's job is to keep us alive. So if we're not having enough of a certain nutrient that's important for skin, but also important for our vital organs like our heart, our lungs or our liver, then inevitably the, the body will prioritize that. So if you're not eating well, it, it can reflect in your skin. 
Yeah. Um, and I mean, no doubt. And that's a, there's a really good example of that with hair loss. So, you know, when people start to, when people get very ill and you shed your hair a lot, and that's a similar sort of pain, it's because, you know, in some ways that's a non-essential thing. The body's concentrating on dealing with what's going on. So you, you end up shedding your hair. So you're, you're absolutely right. But I also want to pick up on a point that you mentioned about health as well. And as much as it's very important, you know, people's appearance obviously is key to them, but actually what my goal is as a dermatologist is to keep the skin as healthy as possible and that generally equates to looking good and great it doesn't equate to looking perfect and we're not aiming for perfection but actually keeping your skin healthy is one of the best ways that you can keep yourself looking you know good over time and that's really my goal when I'm trying to 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 deal with people's skin or advise on skincare it's about keeping healthy skin because healthy skin will always look great yeah. Okay. So that back down to the basics, a good balanced diet, having all the macronutrients, the correct levels of protein, fats, carbohydrate, lots of vegetables, because of course, they're great sources of things like vitamin C that you've mentioned at least six times, I think so far, and vitamin E, which I know is also a key issue, isn't it, for, for keeping your, your skin good. What about hydration? How big a role is that? Yeah, so probably not quite as much as it's been given credit for. So we know that we need to drink enough water to keep our skin healthy but actually signs of the skin of dehydration are quite a late sign of dehydration and actually you can drink your two liters of water a day to keep you healthy but once you drink much more than that it ends up being filtered out of your kidneys and so it doesn't directly hydrate your your skin so i think although you do need to drink enough water and make sure you're not drinking lots of other sugary drinks or all of those sorts of things from a health perspective but exponentially drinking more water won't keep on hydrating your skin and often that's a matter of for example, um, what you are putting on your skin, what products you're using to hydrate, what you might be drying your skin out with. So it's a really, really good point and one that I think often gets misinterpreted. Um, mm. mm. And things we should avoid, I'm thinking of things like alcohol or caffeine. What sort of impact might they have? So alcohol, is, the, the, the health benefits of alcohol generally are probably not that great and um, so the <laughs> drink the better saying that i choose to drink alcohol because i enjoy a little bit for my quality of life and i you know like the taste so as long as you're keeping well within the, the recommended weekly limits you're minimizing it, you're having days off i think that's generally fine if you're for example in menopause flushing is a big issue and mm. alcohol is a significant culprit for causing flushing so if you're getting facial flushing and you drink alcohol it's likely to get much worse so there are reasons why you might you may well want to minimize your alcohol but keeping that um minimal is is really effective um so that's an important way of of keeping uh, sort of avoiding things caffeine mixed mixed results actually there may be some benefits to tea and coffee because actually have some antioxidants in them in terms of the skin so again in moderation i think that's you know absolutely fine trying to avoid um, processed foods um, i think is very helpful as well as you know fried foods so there are part there are these sugars called advanced glycation end products um, which seem to bind to our collagen which is a key structural protein within our skin and makes it less efficient, sort of help uh, degrades it. And things like fried foods um, can often be culprits for those. So trying to avoid that as well. Mm. Um, smoking, absolute no-no for the skin. Yeah, very aging. Smoking just permeates into every organ and causes damage. And for the skin, it is probably, after sun, it's probably my second biggest sort of aging culprit. Mm, okay. So it's easy to spend a lot of money 
on skincare products, particularly when you know you are starting to freak out a little bit and thinking, oh, I need to do something. So do you really get what you pay for? Uh, or are there some reasonably priced products out there that would be just as good? Thank you so much for bringing this up because you do not have to spend a fortune to get great quality skincare. And I think when you look at the really, really highly priced products, actually, occasionally there are one or two that you think, yeah, this needed a lot of research and development to go into. But actually, often you're paying for the packaging or you're paying for the name or you're paying for the publicity that they've um, alluded. And it's perfectly achievable to have a, you know, a good skincare routine on a reasonable budget. And I think it's so important, particularly as, you know, the cost of living is going up so much. Yes. For example, as you're getting older, you may not be earning anymore. You know, all of these sorts of reasons that actually we do not want people, you know, spending huge amounts of money on skincare. You do not have to spend huge amounts of money and to get great skincare routine. I know it's probably a really difficult question, but are there any brands you might highlight? So I think there are lots of great brands out there. And I think there are a few that, you know, I would talk about in terms of um, some of the French pharmacy brands are some of my favorites. So I'm talking about things like La Roche-Posay, Aven. I think they've, they, they often come with a huge amount of fantastic research. So the beauty mm. industry, sometimes I'll say things like, actually, I think the beauty industry hasn't done this. But actually, I also have a lot of respect for some of them because there's a huge amount of research that's been done. So French pharmacy brands, some of my favorites. Um, I think often, you know, big companies, you actually get, again, quite a lot of research. So some of the L'Oreal-based products and some of the, you know, Estee Lauder-based products or Boots products, actually you're getting a lot of research in those sorts of things. And then if you look at some of the new indie-based companies, so looking at things like The Ordinary, which do some fantastic products at very sort of low prices. If you look at, you know, for example, Inky List. So some of those, when I talk about active creams, retinoids, vitamin A-based creams, a lot of those companies will do things at really, really good prices. Oh, interesting. I'm going to grab those names from you later and pop them in the show notes because I'm sure people are rapidly trying to write it down and haven't caught everything. So don't worry, listeners, if you haven't grasped it, it'll all be in the show notes on my website. There's another issue I'd like to bring up from a bit of a personal perspective because I've got very dark hair. I want to talk to you about facial hair. The moustache definitely becomes a lot more pronounced around this stage of life. And what I find completely infuriating, and it happened to me only the other day, is I look in the mirror and suddenly see this trailing hair. And I think I look in the mirror every day. How is it I've only just seen it? And does that mean everybody else has seen this trailing hair? What's going on? Why does it happen? So... Again, hormonal changes are likely to impact on hair growth, particularly if you're noticing some darker hairs. Again, that decline in estrogen, which tends to be more of the sort of female hormone, means that actually testosterone can sometimes be a little bit more unopposed or a bit more active in the skin. So that can sometimes be the reason. Often people will notice it's not just the darker hairs that they're tending to get, it's more of those sort of light and fluffy hairs that tends to happen as the skin ages and over time as well. But a lot of that is also down to hormonal changes. So that's what's going on. What can we do about it? I mean, is it sort of laser again? Is that is that the answer? Because I think sort of when you're younger, you can make changes, you can do things, and it lasts for ages. But all of a sudden, here we are, and it just seems to be this constant issue. So what 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 can we do? Yeah, so if you find that at home hair removal isn't working quite so well in terms of you know waxing, threading bleaching, plucking, all of those sorts of things, then if you've got quite fair skin and quite dark hair, then actually laser hair removal is a great option. And the way that laser works is it really 
picks up the color difference between the hair and the skin. And it's a useful option because it's sort of semi-permanent change. And particularly if you're not wanting to keep on, you know, removing hairs, I think laser can be a really useful treatment. Is it really expensive? I think it depends on where you have it done. I mean, there are a lot of high street clinics which do it now and a lot of places which actually do it really well. So because it's becoming more and more popular, I think the cost is coming down. Yes, it is still expensive. It's not for everyone, but it may be that actually if you can save up for that, it's a more enduring. Mm. And are there any risks associated with it? So the risks, yes, um, sometimes you can get quite a lot of irritation. If the setting is slightly wrong, you can get um, burning of the skin and there is a small risk of scarring. If you've got darker skin, then it can sometimes um, cause pigmentation. But again, as the expertise comes on with laser, laser hair removal is done an awful lot now. And so the mm. risks you know, are getting lower and lower. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's very common, but uh, it's good to get the inside track from an expert. Wow, you have packed so much information into a really short space of time. I'm so impressed. So tell me this, how can people find out more about you and your clinic? Have you got any exciting projects coming up? Where can people find you? So I have a website, so please find me through my website. And I also do a lot on Instagram, so I'm, um, we'll put the handle down in the show notes. And I'll often talk about any projects that I do. I do quite a lot of talks and often do things with the media. So there's a lot going on, which is very exciting. Yes. And I have to say, if you're not following Emma on Instagram, you definitely should, because she does the most amazing, really funny and really informative reels. So I will put links to both her website and social media in the show notes so you can find her easily. Well, we're coming to the end. So I'm going to wrap up with my favourite final question, which is, what would your top two tips be for women who want to have great skin through menopause and beyond? So the first one has to be sun protection. UV exposure is still the most damaging external factor which impacts on our skin so protect your skin from the sun because it will show up if not that time it will show up you know several several years later and the other aspect is to respond to your own skin listen to your skin listen to what it needs because actually all of our skin is different and find what works well for you great advice emma thanks so much for chatting to me today it's been really fascinating oh thank you so much for having me jackie wow I can't believe Emma packed so much advice into such a short space of time. She's certainly given us a lot to think about. If you'd like to find out more about her work, follow her on social media and discover the details of some of those products she recommended, I've put all the information on the show notes for this episode on the podcast page of my website, well-well.co.uk. Don't forget to check out my book, The Happy Menopause, There's a whole chapter on nutrition to support a healthy skin, which ties in nicely with this episode. October's a busy month, as well as the usual monthly episode, which comes out on the first Thursday. There'll be a couple of special episodes to celebrate World Menopause Day on the 18th of October. This year's theme is cognition, so I'll be talking to some very clever people about brain health. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. I'd be so grateful. And do tell your friends and family about it too. It really does make a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast so that more women can find the show. After all, every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. 
Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.